Hi guys, this episode contains discussion of suicide. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Consider yourselves disclaimered. Hi, welcome back to History of a Haunting. I mean, you guys were here last week, but we weren't. So, right. <laughs> how's it going? It's pretty good. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm tired. We had our overnight of St. Albans Friday night. It is Sunday night. Um, and I'm not 23 anymore. Oh, overnights can't right? do them anymore. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way when we go do investigations too, because I'm like, it doesn't start till when? <laughs> like, I'm normally asleep right? by that. At night? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, and it ends about an hour before I usually get up. What are you talking about? Right. Uh <laughs> yeah. So it was um an amazing, wonderful night. We have an upcoming mini episode for all of you, including Laura. Uh she'll be on it, but she is gonna be uh mildly surprised by what I have to tell her and Laura. I have the funniest fucking story to tell you about it. Great. I can't um, wait. Yeah. I'm <laughs> you're gonna I just wanna see all the evidence you guys have caught because I just I've gotten a couple snippets and man, it seems like it's gonna be fucking crazy. I can't wait to see it all. Yeah, thousand percent. Um so anyway, let's just jump right into our EVPs and really those are Laura, we wanna hear all about your hiking <laughs> of the volcano. Guys, we didn't have to put a call out for a new co host. She did survive. <laughs> Barely. Barely, Barely. <laughs> by the skin of her teeth. But how was how was uh, the trip to Guatemala and the volcano hike? And we have a little bit of video to show that you shot at the summit of the volcano you were on. Correct, correct. Um, well, it was in a word, fucking crazy, difficult, um, amazing to be at the top. One to word. See huh? what we got to see. <laughs> yeah, it was like amazing more to be like just fuck. Like <laughs> it was you know, you you watch videos, you think you're prepared for something, and then you actually start to do it yeah. and you realize, yeah. You have no idea more difficult. Yeah. Yes, like that was maybe not the best choice ever. Um so but it, it did work out well. <laughs> four miles up to the summit? Or well, total. according to my Fitbit, it was six and a half miles, but that we walked. So, which was mostly up, like, Ew. and not like just a little up, like way up. Um, <laughs> I thought at some point it would kind of level out a little bit. It did, I guess, towards the end for about forty-five minutes. But no, it's not bad. When you kind of go across, and there's just little ups and downs. But the rest of the time is yeah, just pretty much straight up. Um, you go through farmland and then you go through a cloud forest and then you go through an alpine forest. Wow. You end up above the clouds. 
Um, the, you did capture some really beautiful pictures about oh, like with you. the clouds like down like mm-hmm. around the mountains and it was they were gorgeous yeah so you get up there and it's fucking freezing you started where it's like almost 80 um <laughs> <laughs> so quite the difference i did um just die the entire way up <laughs> I... yeah and guys, at I one was point i was just looking at her. the next tree yeah and just be like make it there okay oh, next okay. one make it there like take a pause i mean it gets it got real difficult my legs were killing me for several days afterwards but again worth it um the height is about thirteen thousand feet when you get up there damn so thin oxygen and all that pardon me thin oxygen and all that oh yeah yeah So, so was this worse than the mountain that you hiked when we were at stanley hotel it was yes way worse it was, it was like that. Better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was it was kind of crazy because they thought I was that we weren't maybe not even be able to see the very top of the volcano because it was so cloudy, and they kind of stick around the volcano, and uh, it was cloud- by the time I made it up there, I saw the peak for you know maybe a couple minutes. Clouds came back, couldn't see anything. You know, you oh. could see the smoke kind of coming off sure. and stuff. Um, Sorry if I'm yawning. I really No, am. it's okay. Nightfall comes, and um, I know you're tired from your journey. Um, this is the most well. boring story, guys. <laughs> I've heard it. Shut like, the fuck nice. up. <laughs> All right, it might be. <laughs> it's just me going like, oh, that was terrible. Um, but about 9 or 10 o'clock, the clouds kind of came off the volcano, and then... Uh, it erupted, but it didn't just, it usually erupts like every 30 minutes. It erupted nonstop for about an hour and a half. Holy shit. Um, and ladies yeah, and gentlemen, we have crazy. that video for you. The full <laughs> hour and a half right now. That's the topic right. of our episode. Just kidding. <laughs> Should we play the video? Um, yeah, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't really do it justice, but it's the best I could do. I mean, it's pretty fucking impressive. Off. It's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, this is on my camera, on my phone, so. Oh, wow, okay. Well, let me see if I did this right, because I fucked up all of our promos, so this might be fucked up, too. We'll see. This should be a video of a volcano. Let's see. Not fucking bad. Are you sure you took this or did you steal this from me? Right. I just paid somebody to bring me back some pictures. So I could avoid the hike. <laughs> I mean, I would have. I would have. I yeah, was maybe to go it might with not have been a bad idea. Laura kept texting me and she was like, I want to die. Be glad you didn't go. And then like a couple <laughs> hours later, I can't move. Oh my God. And yeah, it was, I was glad. I was like, well, you go, you you guys sure paint a magical picture. This is a regret I'll have for the rest of my life. <laughs> She's like, we want to die. Yeah, so. Yeah, there's nothing quite like, uh, you know, freezing on the side of a mountain, because we actually camped right alongside the mountainside. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Mm-mm. I mean, it was cold. It was hard, but it was definitely worth it. Okay. Kind of a, a 
definitely a once in a lifetime experience. And again, we were super lucky to have gone on that night too. Yeah, that was just go crazy. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Super cool. So great experience. I made it back. Good. No need to fill in for me yet. Good. Good. We'll see what other stupid shit I can think of to do. <laughs> Get back to you. <laughs> For well, the between next your adventure. stupid ideas and mine, mm -hmm. I'm really surprised uh, that we've held on to this podcast as long as we have, frankly. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, we are. Um, well, and then you and went you, to the Grand Canyon. I did. We took the Grand, Grand Canyon Railroad, did a trip with my parents, uh, my niece, and my son. And that was super fun. Do you want um, to tell them about the tickets? <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> you know what? Okay, so I had accidentally booked the tickets for the week and the week before, and luckily they were able to get us on back on everything for the day. So, um, thank you to the lady at the Grand Canyon Railroad who didn't tell me that I had to rebuy everything. They just transferred it for the day, and luckily everything worked out. Um, I didn't even tell my parents that that happened until we were having lunch. <laughs> After, After it was everything over. happened, <laughs> she texted me, you guys, in a fucking panic. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I booked the tickets for the wrong date. And I'm like, oh, what date? Thinking it was like the next day would be a big deal. Last Friday, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was my stepson's birthday and uh, the day I left for yeah. Guatemala. So I, the day was just stuck in my head and I fucking picked the wrong day and didn't even catch it well it all worked out it all worked <laughs> out that's really good that's good yeah it was really cool it was fun to take the railroad up and um just um we took like a little bus tour around the grand canyon and stuff it was fun it was snowing up there right yeah yeah there was snow so it was just extra you know kind of magical and beautiful and cold that's good <laughs> so that's yeah good. it was fun Everything's magical and beautiful when it's cold in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. You also got some snow, huh? Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so this past Friday, night before last, uh, I did the overnight investigation of St. Albans Sanatorium. And we got there at like we all got there at like 6 30 it couldn't have been better timed um and then it started at seven we had a tour and then we investigated from about eight o'clock until 4 a.m so there was this big winter storm that's currently battering the northeast i believe or it's already done um, but I was kind of keeping an eye on it because it was saying that it would be a mix of rain and snow. And I am from Arizona. I don't know how to drive in the snow very well or at all. Um, and so I was kind of keeping an eye on the weather system all week long. And I, it was timing it. The snow was going to hit between like five and five thirty in the morning. And we thought it was ending at five thirty. It wasn't until about three fifty seven. Exactly. Not about exactly 3.57 a.m. that we found out that it was ending at four. So I was thinking, all right, oh, you know, I'll leave about five. I'll get it out ahead on the road ahead of this storm, beat the snow. I'll just drive in rain. It'll be totally fine. But um, no, that's not what happened. It ended at four and the snow came in early and it came in heavier than they were actually expecting. So I'm trying to drive down the Blue Ridge Mountains uh in 
a snowstorm and I'm going like 45 miles an hour. I don't even give a fuck. Cars are coming up behind me and I'm hitting my hazard lights and my left signal like past me because I ain't going any quicker. So cars were passing me and semis were passing me. I was getting really nervous, but I kept I kept thinking, Carrie, the roads are just wet. You're going to be just fine. But then it just started snowing more and heavier. And then I started noticing that the roads were getting covered in snow. And I thought, I can't. The wind was insane. And I'm like, about 5.15, I'm like, I can't stay on this road. I cannot stay. I have to get off of this road while this, on this mountain while the storm is hitting. So I stopped at a um, little town called Hillsville, Hillsville, Virginia, and mm-hmm. um, got a room at the lovely Hampton Inn and um, crashed there for a few hours. And then by the time I woke up and got on back on the road, it was about 1030 in the morning and clouds were gone. Roads were dry. Everything was was fine. Um, they got about, I don't know, maybe an inch and a half, two inches of snow. That's not too bad. Not too bad, but I did make it out of the Blue Ridge Mountains and out of Virginia and back into my part of North Carolina um, around 1.30. And then at 2, uh, the storm built up and moved in our way, and then it snowed at my house. And I was like, it's taunting me. <laughs> but it's following me. It's following me. But um, it was really just flurries for a few hours. Nothing stuck. And so um, it was pretty harrowing. Um yeah, it was pretty harrowing. I will say, the only thing that I will say right now to the audience before we do our recap show, which will be uh, released between February, or no, February, next year, uh, <laughs> no, March 24th and 25th. I told you, Laura, that I had a funny story, and I mm-hmm. will tell you that story now, and the listeners, um, <laughs> just because, why the fuck not? Um, so when you go and you do a private overnight of St. Albans, St. Albans gives you, they hand out four emergency walkie talkie radios. That's in the event you get lost, which you can and will do, um, or somebody gets injured or whatever. They do Mm -hmm. always have an employee there on site while you're investigating. So you can contact them in such an event. Um, so they hand out four of those to, you know, whoever's going to go off on their own or lead a group or whatever. So I had one and, um, Donna and, and Zach, and I think, um, Jody had one. So I have the emergency radio from St. Albans. And then our team, our group, Donna had, um, five, I think radios. Mm-hmm. So she gives me one of those so that we can communicate with each other because we were doing, um, a name draws to who was going to be locked down in the basement for an hour. And I was handing out those names and then I would just call on the walkie to whoever was up next. Um, so I had that walkie on my other hip. And so then, I don't know, a couple hours into the night, I go to use the bathroom and I go into the bathroom and I lock the door and I take the St. Albans walkie off and I set it on the shelf there in the bathroom and mm-hmm. then I take the other one off. Well, it's got cords with it. And a little like FBI hook thing that goes in your ear and Mm -hmm. it's all clipped to my hoodie and I have to really pee so I don't take the clips off. I just like take the thing off my my pants and I sit down and I put it in my put the walkie talkie in my lap and 
I go to the bathroom and um, I look down and the light on it is green. And I'm like, well, that's weird. What the fuck is that? And I'm like, oh, God. So I turn the walkie talkie off. Turn the walkie talkie off. Do my thing. Pull my pants up. Hook it back onto my thing. Get the other walkie talkie. Put it back. Wash my hands. Walk out the door. And there's a group of them in the break room gear setup room. Mm-hmm. And they're howling. And I'm like, what? And Donna goes, you just broadcast to everyone that you were peeing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome. Shut up. She's like, no, seriously. Like, and we had it up loud so that they could hear over like SB, mm-hmm. SB sessions and stuff like that. So I loudly broadcast to everyone <laughs> over the walkie that um, I was peeing. And, uh, and I'm like, well, yeah, it, I mean, what, what are you going to do? So then for the rest of the <laughs> night, every time I went to use the bathroom, I would just walk everybody and be like, uh, coming up, I'm getting ready to go to the bathroom again. Just to kind of, I mean, it was. It was That's so, hysterical. It's super so funny. Like embarrassing. <laughs> and I just kept thinking, thank God Laura's not here because she would have, <laughs> I would have been able I to have tortured you. hear her laugh from like the fucking basement or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> Probably. Bad. So that's all the spoilers you guys are going to get until the recap episode. Nice. So anyway. That's funny. Yeah. So that's it. That's all I've got for EVPs. Uh, how all right. Me too. You good? Yeah. Good? Okay. I'm all good. Right. Well, um, as you guys already know from the title that you saw, uh, we are going to be covering today, guys, hence the suicide warning, Heaven's Gate. So, Miss Laura, why don't you take it away with your long list of sources, actually? Yeah, it is a long list. All right. Uh, History.com, Rollingstone.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, Heavensgate.com, ABCNews.com, Grunge.com, TheDailyMail.co.uk, and Wikipedia.com. Breaking up all the dot coms with the dot co dot uk, huh? Hey, you know, you gotta throw in a foreign resource here and there. Right? (laughs) I mean, it did, it's still today, to this day, is Garner's worldwide news, so. It sure does. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, um, it's been a little bit, but not too long since the docuseries came out on HBO as well. Yeah. I'm kind of bringing it back up again. Um, mm-hmm. I think because we're about to hit also the 25th anniversary. Yes. <sighs> Next Saturday. Mm-hmm. No, two Saturdays from now. The 20, yeah, 26th. Yeah, yeah, 24th. Two, two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But yeah. it's coming. It is coming. And um, I do remember when this happened. I was young. You know, it was 1997. I was 20 years old. I just, you know, I wasn't. But I do remember when this happened because I have family that lives in San Diego and, and this was happened just outside San Diego. And so it sort of hit home. We were like, oh, God, where outside of San Diego? Do we know it? Have we been there? Do we know somebody that lives there? So I definitely paid a little bit of attention to it. And I just remember mm-hmm. thinking, what, what, like what was happening? What was going on? What was the reason? What was the cause? And um, but mostly, you know, I didn't really learn too much about it until we started, you know, made the decision we're going to cover this and we started really, really researching everything about it. And it's Mm -hmm. really heartbreaking, frankly. It is. And, um, I do, I remember it too. Um, and just how, 
the media frenzy and all the stories because the kind of oddities of how everything was left um yeah because i think we can really I mean, stuck with people yeah I, I think we all remember the news coverage of them going into that mansion and, and seeing the bodies and laid out and in black tracksuits yeah. and black shoes with purple shrouds over their faces and um right. i that's not something that if anything, that's what stuck out to me the most. That and him. Yeah. Him, that yeah. that um, image that was played on the news all the time that accompanied the very same thing of, you know, the news cameras and the police and going into that mansion. And um, it's just those are the, the key things that people think about when they hear Heaven's Gate is him yep. and what happened. So And the Nikes. And the Nikes. <laughs> Stuff like that. God and the mm-hmm, Nikes, yeah, that were that were uh, created or got their start in Nevada State Prison by the inmates. Remember, we were like, "Is that where Nike got its start?" Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let us guys. We have done all of the research on it, and uh, Laura has written the script for today's episode. She did a really amazing job. Uh, so let us tell you the true story uh, behind Heaven's Gate. Go ahead. All right. So following an anonymous tip on March 26, 1997, police enter a mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, an exclusive suburb of San Diego, California, and discover 39 victims of a mass suicide. The deceased, 21 women and 18 men of varying ages, were all all found lying peaceably in matching dark clothes and Nike sneakers and had no noticeable signs of blood or trauma. They each had $5.75 in their pockets and a travel bag next to them. It was later revealed that the men and women were members of the Heaven's Gate religious cult, whose leaders preached that suicide would allow them to leave their bodily containers and enter an alien spacecraft that was hidden behind the Hale-Bob comet. Uh, The earliest incarnation of Heaven's Gate, as the cult would later uh, become be uh, known to be to come. Oh my god! Again, I can't talk already. And <laughs> <laughs> um, began in the 1970s under the leadership of Marshall Herf Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. Marshall Applewhite was born in 1931 in Texas, and by most accounts, had a relatively normal life. Um, he was known for his musical talents. He once uh, attempted to become a preacher. Um, When that didn't pan out, he pursued music-focused careers at universities, um, and that all appeared to be going well. Uh, But in 1970, he was allegedly fired from his job as a music professor at Houston's University of St. Thomas because he was having a relationship with one of his male students. Though Applewhite and his wife were already divorced by that point, um, he struggled with the loss of his job and may have even had a nervous breakdown. Mm. Um, his father's death a year later brought on severe depression and may have compounded the issues that he was already experiencing. Um, a couple of years later, he met Bonnie Nettles, a nurse with a strong interest in the Bible, as well as a few obscure spiritual beliefs. We spent a lot of time talking about spiritualism, mediums, and astrology, said her daughter, Terry Nettles, in the HBO series, um, We used to dream about a UFO picking us up and taking us away from this world. We didn't feel like we belonged here, end quote. Um, So while the true story of how Applewhite met Nettles uh, remains murky, 
And there's no like concrete one or the other. Some people say it was in the psychiatric hospital when he was there. Um, but Applewhite's sister maintains that he entered a Houston hospital with heart trouble and that Nettles was one of the nurses who treated him. Um, during this time, it's believed he had a near-death experience. Mm. So Nettles and Applewhite had an instant connection. Um, Nettles told Applewhite their meeting had been foretold to her by extraterrestrials, persuading him that he had a divine assignment. By that time, he had begun to investigate alternatives to, to traditional Christian doctrine, including astrology. He also had several visions, including one in which he was told that he was chosen for a role like that of Jesus. In her 2005 profile of Applewhite, Susan Rain speculates that he had had a um, schizophrenic episode around that time. Oh, okay. So Applewhite, Applewhite soon began to live with Nettles. Although they cohabitated, the relationship was not a sexual one. Fulfilling his longtime wish to have a deep and loving yet platonic relationship, Nettles was married with two children, but after she became close with Applewhite, her husband divorced her and she lost custody of her children. Applewhite permanently broke up contact with his family as well. He saw Nettles as his soulmate, and some of his acquaintances later recalled um, that she had a strong influence on him. Uh, Rain writes that Nettles was responsible for reinforcing his emerging delusional beliefs. But psychiatric Robert J. Lifton speculates that Nettles' influence helped him avoid further psychological deterioration. Well, probably it was probably both. That, yeah, I think, you know, she yeah. gave him something to hang on to that didn't further crack his, gave him just a different kind of hold on or a hold on a different kind of reality, I guess. Right. Yeah. A way to deal with what he was thinking was yeah. going on. And right. kind of put the pieces together for him and gave him direction. Right, right, exactly. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily just that he had been fired from his job because he was a homosexual and had an affair with a male co-worker. It was the way he told his severely religious parents after that, after his marriage fell apart. And he, right. his father, who he loved and wanted to be like, was absolutely not having it in any way shape right. or form and basically disowned him yeah and he so. was a his father was a preacher yeah um a presbyterian preacher yes um i was gonna say protestant presbyterian yes yes it wasn't so, great so i can mm -hmm. see how that would have uh fractured his psychological being i can see how that would have damaged yeah. it significantly. i think there was a lot going into that yeah his yeah. breakdown. Um, sure. Not re being willing to accept that he was a homosexual. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's against like how, he, you know, very strict um, upbringing. Yeah, for sure. Religious upbringing. For sure. So, yeah. Uh, and it Eddie seems like. I know. <laughs> Hold on. Let me okay. let him in. Okay. I got it. Otherwise, he's not going to stop. There he I is. I said couch. Yeah, I said he, couch. He listens about as well as my animals do. Mm -hmm. Couch means couch. Go to the couch. He's like, no, lap means lap. There Go he is. Go to the couch. <laughs> Have you been a little needy? He's like, you've yeah. been gone forever. <laughs> All right. Love you rescue, folks. <laughs> Adopt your very own cat. Or dog. Stop. Or 
basically attention whoring animal pet. Yeah. Well, that's like kissing me and stuff. Now that that's not adorable, but yeah. a mouthful of cat hair when you're trying to yeah, it's not a awesome. long monologue is not great. <laughs> <laughs> for a ball right uh, spitting it out of the camera it's not great right. no one wants to see it yeah you know in a lot of respects are we recording still yeah i had oh, okay yeah all right um, i have to show eddie on camera <laughs> right he's so bad oh ouch he just jumped up here <laughs> right. he's just gonna be part of there's nothing i can do about it right now um so um a lot of people say that like he was really her devotee yeah um and he was kind of the like mouthpiece per se right for her thoughts and ideas and and yeah yeah that she really formed a lot of stuff with you know for for him him. yeah yeah okay well by 1973 the two of them were convinced that they were the two witnesses described in the christian book of revelation and they would prepare the way for the kingdom of heaven. It's unclear when they added UFOs and other elements of science fiction to their belief system, but this would ultimately become a huge part of what they stood for. Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles began to call themselves Bo and Peep, him and her, and Doe and T. Sometimes they even went by Winnie and Pooh or Tiddly and Wink. Good lord. They shared a platonic sexless partnership in keeping with the ascetic life they would come to encourage among their followers. Once they put together their belief system, Applewhite and Nettles wasted no time advertising their new cult. As you do. Preparing Uh, presentations for potential followers all over the country, Applewhite and Nettles would distribute posters that promoted a mixture of conspiracy theories, science fiction, and proselytization. Thank you. I, I read that. Fucking right. I was like, I am glad this isn't her part because I have no idea how to say that. I was like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> what is it? Proselytization? Uh-huh. Proselytization. Hey, I said it. I will never you say can... it again. Yeah. Anyway. Somebody's going to chime in later and be like, that's not right. But Good I, right. <laughs> I believe Aaron, it is. <laughs> it's going to be fucking Aaron. Watch. Right. She's going to be in the shower and she's going to be like, man, they butchered the fuck out of that. Anyway, okay. All right, fuck you, Aaron. So and yet, <laughs> stop talking shit. <laughs> you don't have to be like that. <laughs> yes, she does. She's a jerk. <laughs> uh, oh, hold on, I just lost my place. All right, ooh, ooh, posters. Ooh. Yes, thank you. Um, okay, and yet those these invitations um were undeniably eye catching. There's one up on the screen now. Uh, the word UFOs would often appear in big letters at the top with a disclaimer at the bottom, not a discussion of UFO sightings or phenomena. The posters usually claimed two individuals say they were sent from the level above human and will return to that level in a spaceship within the next few months. Uh, their doctrine hinged on a few basic concepts. Earth was about to be recycled, meaning the end of civilization, civilization was near. And those who wanted to survive needed to reach the evolutionary level above human, which was a genderless, blissful, alien existence aboard a massive spaceship, much akin to the Starship Enterprise. They believed that some of these elevated or evolved creatures were coming back to save the faithful and take them to the next level. But as a prerequisite, they would have to forsake their human vessel or body 
and every attachment to planet Earth. Uh, for example, family, friends, sexuality, individuality, jobs, money, and possessions. No, that is literally uh, everything I love in this world. Right. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not getting rid of my hoodie collection. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, it's just getting good now. It's just getting um, good now. They explained that the opportunity was rare. The last time an extraterrestrial had um, taken human form and visited Earth was 2,000 years before. And his name was Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in, in that bit uh, that I was just saying. I mean, that's an amalgamation of stuff and, and things. There is. To, uh, mm-hmm. okay. It is. It's a little mashup. Uh, they said if you followed their approach, that your body would chemically and biologically transform into a perfected space alien, and you would go physically on board a UFO and physically sail into heaven which they would call the next level, explained Benjamin Zeller, author of Heaven's Gate, America's UFO Religion. Uh, Their message peddled fear into potential acolytes. The only way to escape human suffering and ensure entry into the next level was to join Heaven's Gate and follow their teachings. Quote, there are no teachers in the next level. We are your teachers now. End quote, said Doe in a 1976 recording. Come on. I mean, All right. yeah. there's, there's it. There's just... I mean, to be honest, this so far is not any more far-fetched as some other... It's far-fetched, maybe isn't the right word. Um, kind of out there as, as many religions, um, uh, you know, can, can, can be... Like, I'm trying to put the right words. Like, if you look at it from the outside... Um, like there's a lot of beliefs that are, you know, are coming from Christianity or coming from stuff that people already do believe. True, but they specifically single out Star Trek. Oh yeah, there's more about that. So <laughs> it's to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I was immediately turned off by their sales pitch. By they were like, you know, much you can to Starship Enterprise, and I was like, what's wrong with Millennium Falcon? And then give up all your stuff, and I'm like, no, I like my stuff. So I definitely couldn't have, um, I, 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 I'm superficial enough to be like, no, thanks. Yeah. Those Star Trek, like onesies are not flattering. I'm out. (laughs) That's not good. Everybody would prefer Princess Leia in the gold bikini versus the Star Trek onesie or yeah. I got to go with you on that 100%. A thousand percent. Um, well, Applewhite, um, he believed in the ancient astronaut hypothesis, which claimed that extraterrestrials had visited humanity in the past and placed humans on Earth and would return to collect a select few. Parts of this teaching bears similarities to the reformed Christian concept of election, um, likely owing to Applewhite's Presbyterian upbringing. Okay, he often sure. discussed extraterrestrials using phrases from Star Trek, and stated that aliens communicated with him through the show. So there's that about the Star Trek stuff. Um, a lot of people um, believe in that, like at the end times, um, a bunch of people will be taken to heaven. And then you have the people that are left behind. I mean, there's even a very popular book series mm. about yeah what happens. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty standard i mean yeah but 
I mean, the alien Star Trek stuff communicating. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Like I, like I was with him up till that point. I was like, oh, right. you know, maybe yeah, this I can see it. I believe in ghosts for crying out loud. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. But then he just, Ooh, you took it. Ooh, too far. Like in this my is... mind, in my mind. All right. Um, in 1975, um, Applewhite and Nettles received national attention after they gave a particularly successful presentation on Oregon. In this presentation, Applewhite and Nettles promoted Heaven's Gate, then called Human Individual Metamorphosis, or Total Overcomers Anonymous, with the promise that a spaceship would whisk their followers away to salvation. But first, they had to renounce sex, drugs, and all their earthly possession. Nope. Again, all the things I really love. Nope, nope. I thought <laughs> you were going to say cases, rock and roll, but no. No. I think... I don't know that they got to keep that either, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> in most cases, they also needed to abandon their own families. Absolutely um, Only not. then could they be elevated to a new world and a better life known as Tela. T-E-L-A-H. The evolutionary level above human. So, according to an article in the New York Times, um, roughly 150 people packed into a motel hall uh, to hear Applewhite's lecture. At first, the, th the town thought it was a joke, but soon 20 people, or about 1 in 30 residents of the town, packed up, told their loved ones goodbye, and drove off. What is with Oregon, and what is lacking in Oregon's culture <laughs> That this is the second major cult to invade its townsfolk. The Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Um, Sri Rajneesh yeah. is another one. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of serial killers there, too. I think we need more sun. Um, <laughs> there's not enough vitamin D in Oregon. <laughs> no. They're like, do you have sun? I'm coming. Um <laughs> So a score of persons have disappeared, said Walter Cronkite. Um, it was on the CBS Evening News. That's how well, crazy, you know, this was. Um, no. And he God. said, it's a mystery whether they've been taken on a so-called trip to eternity or simply been taken. So. Okay. Yeah. So Applewhite and Nettles continued to travel, and through this grassroots approach, uh, the founders of the Heaven's Gate cult were able to convince more people to leave behind everything they knew to follow them and travel with them. Um, it was a radical move, but for some, the choice encompassed the spirit of the decade. Many were giving up the conventional lives they had started and seeking new spiritual answers to old questions. Okay. Yeah. So from 1976 to 1979, the group lived in campgrounds, usually in the Rocky Mountains or Texas. Um, Applewhite and Nettles began to place greater demands on their followers, previously loosely structured lives. Um, and that improved membership retention, which I think is kind of odd. Well, I think they're starting to put them a... into place. Well, yeah, but I think then by loosening their strict rules, like that's a lot to ask of people. No, this is when they just started putting them on them. So they started creating structure and that actually helped them keep people. So you think that that's, I mean, I guess people like oh, boundaries. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe. Okay. I, th I, I guess. Okay. I guess it seems counterintuitive, that. but. It does. 
Yeah. It's improved membership. Yeah, you'd think that it would. Like, hadn't they given up enough already? And then there's mm -hmm. so much more. Yep. Um, so they typically communicated with their disciples in writing or through assistance. Increasingly, they emphasized that they were the only source of truth. The idea that members could receive individual revelations was rejected in an attempt to prevent schisms. Um, Applewhite also sought to prevent close friendships among his followers, yeah. fearing that this could lead to insubordination. So he and Nettles insisted that their followers practice what they referred to as flexibility, um, which was strict obedience to their often shifting requests. The two leaders limited the group's contacts with those outside the movement, even some who were interested in joining, um, they were trying to prevent infiltration from hostile parties. Mm, and it, cause it did happen. Yeah. So in practice, this made their followers completely dependent upon them. Applewhite instructed his disciples to be like children or pets in their submission. Their sole responsibility was to obey their leaders. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you had something to say there. You're good. I mean, I just, I, I just cannot relate so much that I, my mind is blown by all of this. I think. Yeah. Well, hang on. It gets worse. Okay. Um, in the late 1970s, the group received a large sum of money, possibly an inheritance of a member or donations of followers income. Uh, this capital was used to rent houses initially in Denver and later in Dallas. Applewhite and Nettles had about 40 followers then and lived in two or three houses. The leaders usually had their own house. Oh, uh, sure, the group was sure. secretive about their lifestyle, covering their windows, um, that, which is weird. Applewhite and Nettles arranged their followers' lifestyles as a boot camp that would prepare them for the next level, okay. uh, referring to their house as a craft. Um, like a they craft? Yeah. Okay. They regimented the lives of their disciples down to the minute. Students were not committed, who were not committed to this lifestyle were encouraged to leave. The party members were given financial assistance. Um, I thought that was really interesting that they were like, okay, yeah. that's fine. Here's some money to help you on your way. Most cults are like, you will die without me. So this right, is yeah. a twist. In yeah, they would hand people money and plane tickets mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, let yeah, them go, go on home. your way. Yeah, hmm? it's really, it's, it's different. It's different than your, you know average cult. usual yeah which is weird to say so but there's a bunch of yeah applewhite wanted quality over quantity in his followers although he occasionally spoke about gaining many converts um applewhite and nettle sometimes made sudden drastic changes to the group um on one occasion in texas they told their followers of a forthcoming visitation from extraterrestrials and instructed them to wait outside all night at which point they informed that this had been merely a test. Um, well, it, it was it's like um, like a cult expert, basically. Um, so this is a way that they increased their students' devotion, ensuring that their commitment became irrespective of what they saw. So members became desperate for Applewhite's approval, uh, which he used to control them. Yeah, and on this particular night, both Nettles and Applewhite believed that there would be a spaceship coming for them so they yes, all they went did. out there yeah and then when it didn't they had to shift gears mm -hmm. basically said, you know yeah oh it was a test yeah yeah that's exactly i mean no matter how you look at it no matter the source like already what the things you're describing 
is a form of brainwashing and mind mm-hmm. control. Whether yep. they believed it or not, that's what this is already. Right. Already, yeah. So they were also asked to change their names, the oh, followers. This. Yeah, this. Yeah. Applewhite said that it helped them disassociate from their family tree. Uh, the first name had to be a single syllable compo- comprised of three consonants and always capitalized. They shared the same last name, which was O-D-Y, like Odie. Odie, yeah. Yeah. Odie is a diminutive that means little member. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, this is another little eccentricity. Yeah. Um, in 1980, Applewhite and Nettles had about 80 followers now, many of whom held jobs, often working with computers or as car mechanics. Um, these are smart, skilled people. Yeah, they're um, good. And where 19... a lot of them came mm-hmm. from very prominent families in whatever states yeah. they were from. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in 1982, the pair allowed their disciples to call their families. Um, They further relaxed their control in 1983, permitting their followers to visit relatives on Mother's Day. Um, They were only allowed short stays and were instructed to tell their families that they were studying computers at a monastery. These vacations were intended to placate families uh, by demonstrating that the disciples remained with the group of their own accord. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I certainly would have been raising all kinds of fucking hell looking for koi. You're not going to shut me up. Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah. Um, When Nettles died from cancer in 1985, um, her death was a severe blow to Applewhite, not only emotionally, but also philosophically. Nettles' death had the potential to call into question a number of the cult's teachings. Um, Perhaps most pressingly, uh, why did she die before the telebeings came to pick the followers up? Yeah. It was then that Applewhite began to ri- rely very heavily on one particular tenet of the cult's beliefs, that human bodies were merely vessels or vehicles that were carrying them on their journey, and these vehicles could be abandoned when humans were ready to ascend to the next level. According to Applewhite, Nettles had merely exited her vehicle and entered her new home among the telebeings. But Applewhite apparently still had work to do on this plane of existence, so he would guide his followers in the hopes that they would be reunited with Nettles once again. So after Nettles' death, um, Applewhite also altered his view of ascension. Um, previously, he had taught the group that um, they would physically ascend from the earth and that death caused reincarnation. But her death, with, which left behind an unchanged um, corporal body, Am I saying that right? Forced him to say that... <laughs> corporeal. Ascension. Corporeal. I was like, I know I'm fucking that up. That's I'm like, but I can't think right now. Um, <laughs> it's kind of late at night. Yeah. Forced him to say that the ascension could be spiritual. Um, he then concluded that her spirit had traveled to a spaceship and received a new body and that his followers and he would do the same. In his view, the biblical heaven was actually a planet on which highly evolved beings dwelt. Dwelled dwelt and physical bodies were required to ascend there applewhite believed that once they reached the next level they would facilitate evolution on other planets he emphasized that jesus whom he believed was an extraterrestrial came to earth 
was killed and bodily rose from the dead before being transported onto a spaceship. According to Applewhite's doctrine, Jesus was a gateway to heaven, but had found humanity unready to ascend when he first came to earth. Applewhite then decided that an opportunity existed for humans to reach the next level every two millennia. In the early 90s, would therefore provide the first opportunity to reach the kingdom of heaven since the time of Jesus. His beliefs were based on the Christian Bible, but were interpreted through the lens of belief in alien contact with humanity. Every time I like kind of glance down, I think you're gonna like you're about to say something. <laughs> I have so much to say, and I'm like, I don't even I don't even know where to start. Honestly, this I before we started recording, I told you that this one was very disturbing to me on so many levels, and I just listening to it, I'm like, I. It's a lot. It's yeah, a lot. it's a lot. Um, Thanks for Apple saying White the worst now. part for me. You're welcome. As always. Um, Applewhite now thought that he was a walk-in, a concept that had gained popularity in the New Age movement during the late 70s. Walk-ins were said to be higher beings who took control of adult bodies to teach humanity. This concept informed Applewhite's view of resurrection. He believed that his group's souls were to be transported to a spaceship where they would enter other bodies. That's right. Nobody was nobody under the age of eighteen was allowed to join. Mm-mm. That's right. I was like yeah. adult bodies. Yeah, there were no children, which Mm-mm. thank God for small favors. But absolutely, still. Um, but there were a lot of children left behind by their parents. Yes, those um, yeah, that just walked off, away, off, literally mm-hmm. left them with their grandparents. Mm-hmm. Just left, never to be heard from again. Yeah, it's awful. It really is. Yeah. Um, in the late 1980s, uh, the group kept a low profile. A few people even didn't even know like if it still existed. Um, in 1988, they mailed a document that detailed their beliefs to a variety of New Age organizations. Um, mm. The mailing contained information about their history and advised people to read several books, which primarily focused on Christian history and UFOs. Uh, with the exception of the 1988 document, Applewhite's group remained inconspicuous until 1992, when they recorded a 12-part video series, which was broadcast via satellite. This series echoed many of the teachings of the 1988 update, although it introduced a universal mind of which its hearers could partake. Hmm, Okay. Over the course of the group's existence, several hundred people joined and left. Um, In the early 90s, their membership dwindled, numbering as few as 26. These defections gave Applewhite a sense of urgency. In May of 1993, the group took the name Total Overcomers Anonymous. They then spent $30,000 to publish a full-page advertisement in USA Today that warned of a catastrophic judgment to befall the Earth, right? As publication led to about 24 members coming back to join the group. Yeah, there was a couple that had left their daughter with her grandparents. Mm -hmm. And they left the group and went back to her and then came back. To the group and like a couple of times mm-hmm. they just couldn't they seem up... to function without it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and unfortunately they stayed this poor girl yes this poor girl she's been on a number of documentaries and it's like i can't even That's talk about trust issues mm-hmm. so this along with a series of public lectures in 1994 caused membership to double from its lowest point at the beginning of the decade uh, by this time, Applewhite did not regiment his disciples' lives as strictly as he had and spent less time with them. 
Um, in the early 1990s, Applewhite posted some of his teachings on the internet, but was stung by the resulting criticism. Um, that year, he first spoke of the possibility of suicide as a way to reach the next level. He explained that everything human had to be forsaken, including the human body, before one could ascend. The organization was then renamed Heaven's Gate. It is speculated that this rejection uh, may have encouraged him to attempt to leave Earth. Yeah. From June to October of 1995, the group lived in a rural part of New Mexico. They purchased 40 acres and built a compound, which they referred to as the Earth Ship, using tires and lumber. Applewhite had hoped to establish a monastery there. Uh, this proved to be a difficult endeavor, um, particularly for the aging Applewhite. He was in poor health, and at one point he feared that he had cancer. Applewhite's active leadership of the group probably led to severe fatigue in his last years. Um, the winter was very cold, and they abandoned the plan. Uh, so then they lived in several houses in the San Diego area. I mean, if you want to go for good weather, that's the place to go. I mean, yeah, I, that I agree with. Let's go. Right. <laughs> um, the group increasingly focused on the suppression of sexual desire. Um, Applewood and seven others opted for surgical castration. Applewhite and other members underwent the procedure to help ensure they remained celibate. Applewhite sought cures for his homosexual urges. He wanted to find a way to have a platonic relationship where he could develop his full potential without sexual entanglements, said one reporter who had infiltrated, infiltrated the group in 1975. So this had been going on for a while before they actually moved to castration. Mm. Um, Applewhite believed that castration um, could make that easier Take away that urge, obviously. Yeah. Though decisions like this were always left up to the members, eight followers were voluntarily castrated, including Applewhite. Um, quote, they couldn't stop smiling and giggling, former member D'Angelo told Newsweek. Quote, they were excited about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, um, it, the idea behind their lives in this cult was essentially get rid of, like you said, everything that makes you mm. human, sever your right. familial ties, get rid of all your possessions, this, that, and the other thing. Basically you need to evolve beyond the basic necessities and wants and needs and desires and emotions of a human being, because that's beneath you. If you're going to be a member of the next level. Um, however, right. <laughs> You know, uh, you don't become an alien when you die. That's not how I believe and how most of the world believes it goes. Uh, I think that the two main groups are you go to heaven or you just, that's it. You're just, you die. You go back into the earth. If you don't, if you're agnostic or atheist, you don't believe in heaven or hell. Um, but to go to that extreme to get rid of of one desire and he fought this his whole life mm. so what had caused this uh idea in him was there was a longtime member one of the very first members of the cult and i can't remember his name i can't remember his od name either but um he was a a Fairly Kellogg's popular, model. Uh, kind of, yeah. He was a fairly mm -hmm. popular uh, college football star mm -hmm. who had joined it. Blonde hair. I mean, he was 
he looked the part. 70s college football player um, who was one of the first people to join him and T's little band of misfits, I guess. Um, but as the years went on, he then tur- he did, he turned made this guy into one of his like assistants and helpers and like closest confidants. But in doing mm-hmm. so, Applewhite developed feelings for this guy. And yeah. to try to get rid of those, he sort of demoted the guy, um, which it was a huge uh, personal shock for the man to be so unceremoniously just kind of dismissed. Um, but it was one of Apple White's ways of trying to control his homosexuality that, yes. you know, he was telling all of them, Hey, you know, just, just don't, it's easy. Just ignore it, get rid of it or whatever. When he realized he still couldn't right. do that, he got the idea of castration and yes. he decided that he wanted to, um, that one of the members of the group was a nurse and she had previously worked for a doctor who had done these surgeries. So she felt very confident that she could do them herself. And he got a group of guys together that were like, yeah, I totally want to do it. And he's like, well, who wants to go first? And it was this one man and this other man and they were kind of competing with each other because they wanted to show him how much they were on board with this idea. It was a great idea and they wanted to prove to him. They were so dependent on him and, and vied for his attention and approval that they were kind of, not like outwardly, but I mean, it was understood they were kind of competing with each other. So it, it came down mm. to a coin toss and the one guy got it over the other guy and the, the guy that didn't get it was like, I'm glad because she performed this castration on him mm-hmm. in front of a bunch of people under just local anesthetic. Yeah. And, and they... it went badly. Mm-hmm. It went badly. And yet they were, and then that, that was when Apple, I was like, this is a horrible idea. I regret everything. And that was when they started going to actual hospitals and medical doctors and not right. trying to do it within the group. Um, but just to show you right. like, his mindset in where he came up with this and how it was deemed a great idea by a lot of the male um, followers in the group. It just Mm -hmm. goes to show how tenuous a grasp he had on reality and how wholly devoted to him they were. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's just one of many bizarre things that occurred many 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 bizarre things that occurred which you have saved for me so thank you for that mm-hmm. You're um, welcome. <laughs> all right i'm gonna go refill my drink uh we will take a quick break and then we will get um into the horrible awful no good really bad conclusion of the fate of the members of heaven's gate we will be right back but we don't have any um Uh, promos because apparently i deleted them all somehow so to you guys this break will be in just the blink of an eye so sit tight (laughs) okay so um the followers were also expected to dress largely alike and conform to incredibly specific rules about the most mundane things um additionally like they all had to have like the same haircut like 
it was they had to wear like button up shirts and baggy clothes so you couldn't tell like what was a male body and what was a female body and mm-hmm. it was very androgynous they all had the same bowl haircut it was insanity um to I'm like right now it just sounds like a lesbian bark go on <laughs> you're like i've dated so many of these people uh, <laughs> so One survivor, Michael Conyers, said that, quote, everything was designed to be an exact duplicate. You were not allowed to come up with, well, I'm going to make the pancakes this big. There was a mixture, a size, how long you cooked it on one side, how much the burner was on, how many a person got, how the syrup was poured on it, everything. Um... I could not have have been a chef for these these guys because I just wing it 110% of the time. Everything I yeah. do, I'm like, I don't remember how I did that. Well, well, I, there's no way. There's no way. Right. And you measure, measure garlic with your heart. Like, you don't yes. follow recipes for that. <laughs> Never. Butter, too. Mm-hmm. Butter, mm-hmm. too. Everything's butter the gutter. Butter. A thousand percent. Uh quarter cup nah this whole thing looks good plop Mm -hmm. that's close enough absolutely um so how did a group like this once attract almost 200 followers or members um according to former members heaven's gate was appealing because of its blend of asceticism mysticism did i say that right asceticism Mm -hmm. mysticism science fiction and christianity so this Michael Conyers, who was an early recruit, said that the cult's message was appealing because, quote, they were talking to my Christian heritage, but in a modern, updated way. For example, Heaven's Gate apparently taught that the Virgin Mary was impregnated after she was taken up in a spacecraft. Now, as unbelievable as that sounds, that answer was better than just plain virgin birth, Conyers said. It was technical. It had physicality to it, which does make a tiny bit of sense. Yeah. So members of Heaven's Gate believe that suicide was wrong, but their definition of suicide was far different from... Hi, Eddie. He's like, go on. (laughs) He's like, what? (laughs) What? Tell me all about this. (laughs) So their definition of suicide was far different from the traditional one, the actual one. They believed that the true meaning of suicide was turning against the next level when it was offered to them. Tragically, this fatal offer was made in March of 1997. So while it's not exactly clear um, entirely where Applewhite got the idea that there was a UFO trailing behind the Hale-Bopp comment, um, this comment was actually about to make an appearance during that time. And I do remember the news and everybody was like, you guys will be able to see this comment from the right sky, Hale-Bopp. It was the same thing with Haley's comment. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. Yeah, is it no. Haley or Hallie? Hallie's comment. Haley's comment. Hallie's comment. More it's a comment. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, in this particular instance, um, there was a person who took a photograph of this comet, and I don't know whether it's double exposure or what it was, but in the photograph, and I should have put it up, but I didn't. I'm a bad podcaster. We all know this. Look it up yourself. Um, <laughs> the image that he took is of the hale Bop comet, but it looks like there is a companion mm-hmm. uh, comet to it. 
that had silver rings around it. And this photo gets sent to this shock jock kind of radio DJ by the name of Art Bell, who was a conspiracy theorist and a radio host of the popular program Coast to Coast AM for publicizing this delusion that Apple White clung onto, essentially. Um, it's hard to see how this DJ could have anticipated what an increasingly, like, worn and mentally frazzled Marshall Applewhite would do with this idea that there was this companion comet with silver rings around it that looked like a spaceship was traveling with it. I mean, there's no way the guy could have known. All right. Still, for whatever reason, Applewhite saw it as a sign. And according to him, it was, quote, the only way to evacuate Earth. The spaceship behind Hale-Bopp was apparently the flight that Heaven's Gate members had been waiting for all along, and it was coming to take them to the higher place that they had been seeking for over two decades. So it was coming just in time. If they waited any longer, Applewhite was convinced that the Earth was going to be recycled while they were still on it. In 1996, they recorded two video messages in which they offered their viewers a, quote, last chance to evacuate Earth. The 39 Heaven's Gate cult members had already used money that they had made from designing web pages, the cult's primary source of income, to rent a mansion near San Diego. And so they decided this mansion would be the place where they left their vehicles. So this is um, the uh, website that they use this money, they, they made money off of and bought or rented this mansion. So here's the website. Right. So this is what was posted to the website after the mass suicide. This is what the website looked like. But otherwise, this is kind of their their logo, Heaven's Gate. Um, so they decided that this mansion would be the perfect, perfect place to leave their vehicles. And the cult began making meticulous preparations to kill themselves, even though the Heaven's Gate credo was staunchly against it prior to this but they defined again suicide in their own context to mean to turn against the next level when it is being offered um to those who um follow the bible and its teachings christianity is basically to them is the equivalent of turning your back on god and christ right yeah so suicide uh to members of the heaven's gate group would not would be to not allow their soul to leave their human vehicles to join the next level. So they purchased alien abduction insurance that would pay out $1 million per person and covered abduction, impregnation, or death by extraterrestrials. Did you know there was such a thing? No. I didn't either. I didn't either. And when I um, saw a documentary that they actually had kind of alien abduction life insurance, I was mm-hmm. like, what? is happening with this turns out Lloyd's of London who supplied the policies stopped writing new policies after this mass suicide right no more Um, alien abduction insurance I mean good lord Applewhite prepared a press release for the media which read quote by the time you receive this we'll be gone several dozen of us 
We came from the level above human in distant space, and now we have exited the bodies that we were waiting, we were wearing for our earthly task to return to the world from whence we came. Task completed. The distant space we refer to is what your religious literature would call the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So the group videotaped eerie farewell messages, which showed them giddy with excitement, really super happy, could not be more proud. Um, One woman said, quote, I feel very honored and very lucky that I wasn't stuck back in the world where I chose to make the mistake of going for a while. Um, And this quote was uh, reiterated by her daughter, Kelly Cook, who this is the girl whose parents left her with her grandparents when she was little to join. Yeah. The ones that went back and forth. Yeah. Back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So one last thing we'd like to say is 39 to beam up said a smiling Denise Thurman, who was known as Junoti. These videotapes along with a few other items and letters were sent to numerous affiliated or former members of heaven's gate. The Cosmos-bound cult then enjoyed one last meal together at Marie Callender's. Apparently, they all walked in wearing the same exact clothes. They ordered mm-hmm. um, pot pies and iced tea or yeah. lemonade or something. But they all had the exact same thing. Exact same thing. They mm-hmm. all had the exact same haircuts. The wait staff said that they were very polite. They were, you know, that it was just... They didn't... Strange folk. It was strange, but they didn't, mm-hmm. you know, obviously they didn't think anything crazy was going to happen after that. Right. Exactly. I think they had um, even gone to Disneyland. They had done some a little bit of living yeah, before they did right this. Yeah, before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so before ingesting a lethal barbiturate-laced applesauce, they stuffed their pockets with $5.75 toll fare for the Celestial Voyage. They arrived at that figure from a Mark Twain story where he wrote, quote, the fare to get to heaven on the tail of a comet was $5.75. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So starting on about March 22nd or 23rd, the 39 cult members ate applesauce or pudding that had been laced with a heavy dose of barbiturates, and some of them washed it down with vodka. I mean, I'd need to, too. Frankly. Mm-hmm. Hang on. I need... Speaking of, I need to take <laughs> I kind of want to drink vodka right now. Boxed wine. All the way. <laughs> Um, apparently they, they did this group by group. So, um, one group, they would place bags over their heads to ensure asphyxiation. Um, and then they waited for death. This was believed to have happened over the course of a few days. Those later in the lineup cleaned up any mess made by the first groups and laid the bodies out neatly, covering them up with purple shrouds. Um, Applewhite was the 37th to die, leaving behind two others to prepare his corpse and alone in a house full of bodies, take their own lives. There was actually one woman, the nurse, in fact, who did the castration. Mm -hmm. She was the only one that was found without a shroud over her head. So she was the last one. Last one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after the authorities were alerted on March 26th, they found 39 bodies lying neatly in bunk beds and other resting places dressed in identical black tracksuits and Nike sneakers covered in purple shrouds. Their matching armbands read Heaven's Gate away team. 
The anonymous tipster was later revealed to be a former member who'd left the group just a few weeks beforehand and received a, received a disturbing package of videotaped farewells from the group and a map to the mansion. Of course, the aftermath of the discovery was chaotic. Reporters swarmed the scene, clamoring for details about the suicide cult. And I remember that was all that was on the news. That was mm-hmm. like the leading headline. Family members of the victims demanded that their bodies be tested for HIV, and all of them were negative. Marshall Applewhite's image was plastered on countless magazines, his wide-eyed facial expressions living on in infamy. And here is the one that I will never, ever forget. Yeah, I think this is the image that most people are familiar with, Mm -hmm. with his shaved head. And he's, you know, this is what was on, I think it's on the website too, isn't it? One of the videos. Yeah. I think it's part of one of the videos, but... um, yeah, him super wide-eyed and... Yeah. I think this is just... the one that was, like, on the front of every newspaper, like, on mm-hmm. all, like, life and time and, and people and, yeah. like, all mm-hmm. of the major magazines. This is what you think of when you think of Heaven's Gate. You think of this man, which is... It, it took a lot... There was a lot of life lived prior to this point for this man, to get him to who that image shows you. Right. There was a lot of sad life lived prior to that man becoming who he was. So mental um, illness as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Clearly. In the immediate aftermath of the suicides, several members remained. The Seattle Times reported in 1997 that a few, including a man named Chuck Humphrey, who was called Ricotti conducted an informal session for the media. Newsweek reported that Humphrey also had trouble handling his vehicle's sexual desires, and he had floated in and out of the class, which is what they called themselves. They weren't a group. They weren't a congregation. Mm -hmm. They weren't a cult. They weren't a church. They were a class with T and Doe teaching it. So um, you muted yourself. Did you mean to? Yeah, I was just taking a drink. Oh, I didn't know Sorry. that cat was like revving his tiny engine. <laughs> he keeps, yeah, he's well, very that interested too. You're in like, this. That mm-hmm. um, so they were not there to recruit members or advocate suicide. Um, Janya Lalik, an expert on cults, said after the session, quote, Humphrey's romanticizing and glorifying these deaths, and then he's making a couple bucks on the side. So, of course, you've got folks that are like, not buying anything you're trying to sell me, no matter what mm. it is. Um, according to the New York Times, six, week le- six weeks later, Humphrey and a northern, a norther, no, not a northern member, another former member, Wayne Cook, attempted suicide wearing the same Nikes and purple shrouds as the original suicides among those Cook's wife, who he was the father of the little girl who they had abandoned and came back to abandoned and over and over. Um, Humphrey survived, but only barely. And Cook did not have officially making this little girl parentless. Um, CBS News reported that nine months later, Humphrey killed himself. He was carrying a $5 bill and three quarters bus fare like the 39 dead had. 
In addition, the North County Times reported that Robert Leon Nichols killed himself in a way approximating the mass suicide, leaving a note reading, quote, I'm going on the spaceship with Hale Bob to be with those who have gone before me. However, Nichols had never actually belonged to any version of the cult or the group. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Eerily enough, Heaven's Gate still has four living followers who survived only because they were instructed to run the group's website in the mid-1990s and have been doing so ever since. They still believe in the cult's teachings, and they claim to be in contact with the 39 members who died. How absolutely horrific for the survivors of those people, the families of those people. Yeah. Um, so Benjamin Jeller, Jellers, nope, Benjamin Zellers, Heaven's Gate, explains that Marshall Applewhite told two members... Mercody and Srafodi to postpone ascending for a few thousand years. Sure, easy peasy. Just hang on for a minute. So that the cult could still have a presence among the Luciferians or evil aliens. They are now called Mark and Sarah King, and depending on who you ask, are married. Uh, to the mirror, they explained that they are, quote, task partners, and that, quote, our day to day lives are working regular jobs, taking care of household chores, and maintaining the website, emails, and the other physical and intellectual property issues that arise all the time. They collectively call themselves Tela, again, the evolutionary level above human, after a part of the two's gospel, meaning Doe and T, mm-hmm. and fittingly have dubbed their task partnership the Tela Foundation. News.com.au reported that they were among those of whom Walter Cronkite said in 1976, a score of persons have disappeared. It's a mystery whether they've been taking on a so-called trip to eternity or simply taken, as mentioned in that archival article that you had referenced earlier. Yeah, talked about earlier. Yeah. So they were one of the original, they were some of the originals. Originals, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when asked how many members remain of Heaven's Gate, they told Vice none. The group came to an end in 1997. There are no members or anything to join. So now, Laura, you did reach out through the emails or the website's email address and ask them if they would like to comment or be on the show or provide any information, but they declined. Correct. Yeah. Which I was actually kind of surprised you got an answer, frankly. I I actually was too. (laughs) Um, So after the initial uproar died down, those left behind had to cope with their loss Former member Frank Lyford lost his closest friends, uh, his cousin and the love of his life, Erica Ernst, in the mass suicide. Luckily, Lyford was able to find some semblance of grace despite the traumatic experience. He said, quote, we all have a connection to the divine within us. We all have that radio transmitter built in. We don't need anyone to translate that for us, he said. Quote, that was the big mistake that we all made, in my mind. It was believing we needed someone else to tell us what our best path should be. Lyford left the cult in 1993, a few years before the group's infamous mass suicide. As recently as 2019, Lyford admitted that he still thinks about the famous cult and the images of his dead friends found covered in purple shrouds wearing matching Nike sneakers with plastic bags over their heads, and they haunt him to this day. Quote, I knew it was the same group I was a part of, so it was a very emotional time for me. From the standpoint of feeling the loss of all of my friends who I had been with for 18 years. Fortunately for Lyford, he avoided the same fate as his peers by deflecting from the famous cult, or defecting from the famous cult, rather. Nonetheless, it wasn't easy as his future prospects seemed bleak. 
All he'd known for 18 dedicated years of devotion were Applewhite's prophecies, his friendships, and his relationship with Erica Ernst. He said, quote, this deep, it was this deep gut felt misgiving of remaining in the group, remaining in the cult, he said. I couldn't express it at the time, and I didn't know what my life would look like, what it'd be like adjusting to life outside of the group. I just knew I couldn't remain in the cult anymore. Lyford returned to his parents' home in Canada for some much-needed neutrality and peace, but two days after escaping Heaven's Gate, he received a harrowing call from the woman he loved. She begged him to return while he tried to get her to leave. For true believers like Ernst, leaving was not an option. Lyford explained that the cult's goal was, in effect, ascension to a higher level of existence. As such, Ernst disregarded Lyford's advice that she should leave. The call ended unsuccessfully, and four years later, Ernst was dead. If I were back on that call with her right now, I would be more emphatic about her leaving. When the news of the mass suicide reached him, Lyford was emotionally shattered. My initial response was, okay, they've gone and done it, he recalled. My thought was, okay, this is the group I was part of, and they finally pulled the trigger on their decision to leave. But another former member still believes he feels he missed his chance. Sawyer dubs Swody was um he was born steve havel and he left years before the end he considers himself a failure who should and would have graduated with his class he told the escondido grapevine that he had achieved the rank of overseer in his 18 years with the group leaving in 1994 what broke him from the promise of eternal life in the stars mtv he turned that on, he saw beautiful women, and just needed to masturbate, according to Loudwire. Understanding that he could not bend to the whims of his vehicle and not wanting to get neutered as between the six to eight of the final members did, not all of them did, despite what you may have heard, Sawyer left the group. And this is the guy who did the coin toss with the other one and felt like yeah. he had lost out. He, this is the mm -hmm. guy that was in competition to be the first one to become castrated. Um right. So, uh, not wanting to get castrated after he saw what happened to this guy. Um, yeah, to the first one. He was yeah. like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Um, he left the group. So, Loudwire further quotes Sawyer as saying in the documentary Heaven's Gate, I told Doe, I feel like I need to leave the group. He got me a plane ticket and gave me $600. I'm really kind of a pitiful person, really. So Sawyer wrote a book about his experiences with Heaven Gate titled, <clears throat> This Little Book Provides the Backside Evidence Showing How All Jesus' Prophecy Revelations, and 123 words later, to graduate into the next <laughs> level kingdom in the literal heavens. So with a title that would put Fiona Apple to shame, which I love that part. I, when I read yeah, it, I was yeah. like a thousand percent. <clears throat> She's very loquacious. Mm -hmm. Um... It's no surprise that this book is a breezy 900 plus pages long, which is just a little short of how long Stephen King's It is. 1100 pages long. Um, in it, he talks about how he helped hide the evidence of that first castration, including throwing that guy's testicles off of a pier because Applewhite wanted to go to the police and him and somebody else were like, no, no, we can fix this. And convinced him not to. And so that's what they did was they mm -hmm. hid the testicles. And I'm not really sure. They ended up taking the guy to the hospital 
And I'm not really sure what they ended up telling them happened. But um, on the website, the crew had posted their final message. It still reads, quote, whether Hale-Bob has a companion or not is irrelevant from our perspective. However, its arrival is joyously very significant to us at Heaven's Gate. The joy is that our older member in the evolutionary level above human, the kingdom of heaven, has made it clear to us that Hale-Bob's approach is the marker we've been waiting for. The time for the arrival of the spacecraft from the level above human to take us home to their world in the literal heavens. Our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth is finally coming to conclusion. Graduation from the human evolutionary level. We are happily prepared to leave this world and go with T's crew. If you study the material on this website, you will hopefully understand our joy and what our purpose here on Earth has been. You may even find your boarding pass to leave with us during this brief window. We are so thankful that we have been recipients of this opportunity to prepare for membership in their kingdom and to experience their boundless caring and nurturing. Also on the website, they do post a position against suicide. This is taken directly from the website. We know that it is only while we are in these physical vehicles. And also it should be mentioned that this was written by the two people who still run it. Yeah. So it says, we know that it is only while we are in these physical vehicles or bodies that we can learn the lessons needed to complete our own individual transition, as well as to complete our task of offering the kingdom of heaven to this civilization one last time. We take good care of our vehicles so they can function well for us in this task, and we try to protect them from any harm. We fully desire, expect, and look forward to boarding a spacecraft from the next level very soon in our physical bodies. There is no doubt in our mind that our being, quote, picked up, is inevitable in the very near future. But what happens between now and then is the big question. We are keenly aware of several possibilities. It could happen that before the spacecraft comes, one or more of us could lose our physical vehicles or bodies due to recall, accident, or at the hands of some irate individual. We do not anticipate this, but it is possible. Another possibility is that because of the position we take in our information, we could find so much disfavor with the powers that control this world that there could be attempts to incarcerate us or to subject us to some sort of psychological or physical torture, such as occurred at both Ruby Ridge and Waco. It has always been our way to examine all possibilities and be mentally prepared for whatever may come our way. For example, consider what happened at Masada around 73 AD, a devout Jewish sect after holding out against a siege by the Romans to the best of their ability and seeing that the murder, rape, and torture of their community was inevitable, determined that it was permissible for them to evacuate their bodies by a more dignified and less agonizing method. We have thoroughly discussed this topic of willful exit of the body under such conditions and have mentally prepared ourselves for this possibility as can be seen in a few of our statements. However, this act certainly does not need serious consideration at this time and hopefully will not in the future. The true meaning of suicide is to turn against the next level when it is being offered. I stress that because it's italicized. Mm -hmm. In these last days, we are focused on two primary tasks. One, 
of making a last attempt at telling the truth about how the next level may be entered, our last effort at offering to individuals of this civilization the way to avoid suicide, and two, taking advantage of the rare opportunity we have each day to work individually on our personal overcoming and change in preparation for entering the kingdom of heaven. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the true full story of the Heaven's Gate cult. And I'm okay with calling it a cult because Marshall Applewhite calls it a cult in one of the videos. He he says it's the cult of cults. It's Mm -hmm. the cult of truth is what he says. So I'm perfectly fine with using it um, because he did. And quite honestly, even if he didn't use it, at the end of the day, that is what this is. And that is what a lot of the of, um, former members, including Frank Lyford, said that it was, that right. they were in a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it... <laughs> I find it interesting that on the one hand of the website... That, that people asked, you know, is this cult still available or whatever it was that they said. But they had said, no, um, their Hail, Heaven's Gate ended in 1997. Right. There's nothing to join. There's nothing to join. But yet in their statement about suicide... They say, you know, in these last days, we are focused on two primary tasks of making a last attempt at telling the truth about how the next level may be entered um, and our last effort at offering individuals of this civilization the way to avoid suicide. So if there's nothing to join, why are you still working toward offering people a chance to go with you? Essentially, is what that's saying. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um at the end of the day, I think um, I, I, there's not a lot much more known about Bonnie Nettles or T than mm-hmm. what you said. I mean, they've interviewed her daughter a number mm-hmm. of times. Um, she was very, very strongly believed in aliens and, and wanted to be taken away by a spacecraft. And But beyond that, there isn't a whole lot into her background that I've read about or, or seen or, or that her daughter has even said, um, like his, I think it's right. Very it is, clear. It, he was mentally ill. Yeah. It's, it's curious as to how she came to these realizations, I guess, if you want to call them that, um, yeah. Like, is this just like what in her background she and dreamt up? Right. With him, they were both feeding off of each other. I think that she might have been like the. It's like a folia do. Yes, yes. Mm. She might have been the more dominant personality, as a lot of those folia do's have. Yep. And then it became a situation where maybe he did, he did experience that mental break when she died. Mm hmm. Um, cause a lot of the well, documentaries and things that I, that I saw were like, he was a broken, ruined man when she died because she pretty much kind of ran everything. And then he was just sort of up to him to kind of, you know, wing it as best he could essentially. 
Yeah, it seems like after that he was kind of already checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, sure. you know, once uh, they saw what happened with Waco, uh, I know that that made him super, you know, I think kind of pushed yeah. again to the the paranoia and the desire to maybe have everything kind of come to a end game kind of right situation because they were afraid that they were going to get attacked by the government or outside forces to break up what you know he had left right right exactly after she she passed yeah um so hang on i'm trying to find it i'm sorry looking on my phone it's rude but i'm i don't think i I don't think i still have it i hope i do so rude i know it's super rude um I have this habit of taking a ton of screenshots and like memes and whatever and, and, you know, saving and sharing them throughout the day or what have you. Um, and then I go through and I delete everything that I don't want to keep. So I constantly taking and deleting pictures and this is (laughs) one of them. Um, I do want to say when Laura told me that she had reached out to, um, the heaven's gate, remaining members through the website and ask them to be either be on the show or offer information. And and they said, no, I did reach out to Frank Lyford, who was um, the guy that had been with him for 18 years, him and the love of his life, Erica Ernst joined together. I had reached out to him and I had asked him if he would tell his story yet again on our little podcast. Um, And I really didn't, Again, like with Laura, I didn't expect a reply, but I got one. And I was actually quite moved by the response that I got. And so I'm going to read what he wrote back to me. Um, He says, hi, Carrie. Thanks for reaching out and considering me. I am going to respectfully decline. As you mentioned, I have told my version of the Heaven's Gate story a number of times. I do want to tell it again, but this time in writing my book about it. So that's where my focus is right now. I wish you good luck and good fortune with your Heaven's Gate project and all other projects you may be involved in going forward. Um, and I I thought that, that was, was kind. very kind. Yes, I thought mm-hmm. that was very kind. And I thanked him. I told him that I absolutely understood. And honestly, I... Um, I truly feel this way, and I told him that um, I think that his life story up to this point is very um, fascinating and heartbreaking and um, also hopeful because I think he is he's um, one of these these individuals that not only lost something to believe in because I think at the end of the day, that's what all of these people wanted. They wanted to find something bigger than them to believe in. And what Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles were selling them was very compelling. It was new and different. And yet it still, you know, it, it, it had some roots in, you know, like the one guy said, like, okay, boring virgin birth or, she was taken up and impregnated by aliens. That has a physicality to it. That just seems a little bit more between the two stories. What's more likely? I mean, right. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was just really taken with his story because he had found the love of his life and 
it's, it's that moment where you find that person and you both have the same, um, ideals and morals and beliefs and you embark on this journey, which everybody already agreed is a bit odd. They all agreed it. They all agreed to up and leave my family. This is weird, but they both believed in it so wholeheartedly. And then after 18 years, he leaves because he has encountered something that has changed his mind and has made him see there is actually another way to live and, and think and be. And then to find out that she didn't still didn't share that with him. How heartbroken they both must have been to have been like, hey, we chose this together and we've been in it for 18 years together. And for one to leave and be like, you need to come with me. And then the one that stayed be like, how can you leave? It just is tragic. No it's matter what it's it's just tragic. And then for him to have found out what they did and, and how she died and that that was their last conversation. Mm. I I just can't even imagine. I just can't even imagine it. So I think I was very struck by his story. Um, and yet, you know, he still, he still feels that there's hope and, and good in the world and in people and strangers like me reaching out and being like, hey, let's exploit you and your story a little more. You seem pretty willing to do it so far. Would you be willing to do it again? And still being very kind and nice. You know, I, I, I don't know. There's just something about, about him and, and his demeanor and my interaction with him and his story that has struck me in a way. And if you see him again, like you said, he's in a lot of um, stories about this. Mm. His, he seems very genuine and like very kind. I don't think um, yeah. there was any malice and I think the same thing mm. about Sawyer, the guy who mm. regrets leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, we are all searching for something greater than ourselves. And whether we find that in the love of our life or in our children or in the little humming kitty cat on our lap or in a <laughs> box of Franzia wine, we're all looking for something bigger and better than us ourselves so i guess on the one hand you can't blame these people for following them but at the same time i don't they were brainwashed i think they were murdered at at the at the and made it were told to do it and made it sound like a great idea by this guy who was mentally ill mm-hmm and was sort of led even further down that terrible road by some woman who maybe was also mentally ill or just really sad about life on earth. And I don't know, but it's a, it's, it's one of the more sad cults. Um, a lot of times you read about cults and, and it's these, you know, narcissistic sociopaths that are leading them. I don't believe either one of these people were narcissistic or socio or sociopath. I no, I agree a with you. I group think group of individuals no. that came together in a confluence of events that ended really, really badly and, and took 39 lives and destroyed hundreds of others. Well, and plus the ones after. Mm-hmm. So 39 that day and then three after right? three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and probably Sawyer. We'll figure out. We'll probably we may hear about him. He seems Eventually. really devoted to it still. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Agree. Yeah, this is a hard one. When you suggested it, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Oh, my God. I remember this a thousand percent. It's going to be full of craziness. And all I just found in all of our research on it was just the link sent us. And it's Including for the two that started it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't yeah. feel that way about Jonestown. Don't feel that way about <laughs> the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Don't feel that way about Waco. I mean, there's a ton of cults. Like, we could go on for years talking about cults, but... Anyway, this one just sad, no, no matter how you slice it. It is. Yeah. Eddie agrees. I'm glad, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. He was like, I thought you were going to tell a much better story, Carrie. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's obsessed with me right now since I've been gone. He's like, I'm not letting Why you out of my sight. Why are you so obsessed <laughs> with me? Seriously. He really is. It's bad. I'm like, my dogs were obsessed. Go. With, yeah, my dogs are obsessed with me for like two hours, and then they were like, "Well, yeah, she's back. It's fine." Um, yeah. let's see. We don't. Oh, man, I fucked up a lot. I don't know what happened to all of our promos. And look, Love Heals. It's our sponsor. Yeah. Buy a rent, not rent. Get don't a dog rent. or a cat. Don't rent. <laughs> you can't rent animals from. You can you. foster. Foster, which is kind of like renting. Kind of, yeah. Um, except that uh, the rescue pays you to be a foster. Love Heals Rescue, help us be a part of the solution. Adopt a dog or a cat. And History of Haunting listeners get 10% off of adoption fees. So, hi, we did poke a sponsor in there. Laura? Yeah, hey, look at us. Tell them where they can follow us and shut me up, please. You can follow us on... Um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at History of Haunting. <laughs> <laughs> H2H podcast. Dear God, we are rusty. <laughs> I was like looking at him like, what is that symbol? <laughs> Hoa podcast. Uh, all right. You can also follow us on TikTok at HOH podcast at HOH Carrie and at HOH co-host Laura. Where she has finally started posting TikToks. I have. It's true. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. We, um, sorry we brought down the fun all, on all sides this week. Um, we do have a cat playing air drums. He's so cute. I he's so chill. He doesn't even care. Just, I he just sent him back down. He was like, whatever. I'm right back to sleep. He's super, he's super chill. He's a very sweet and loving cat. Um, I suggest everyone get one. And uh, maybe Love Heals has one for you. Uh, that is it. Uh, Laura, we do have a true crime story that we need to record this week for the Patreons. Too sweet. It's going to be a good one, too, guys. I is am it? super excited Ooh, about I this one. I can't wait. This just mm-hmm. stresses me out, though, because then I'm like, oh, fuck, I've only got 30 days to write mine for next month. <laughs> They're super fun. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. They're good. Yeah, It's for good sure. to find, I'm trying to find some different Interesting stuff. That's all I'll say. Yeah. This one's uh, probably something like I don't think most people know about this one. So I think it's it's going to be good. Yeah, I think it's a good one. Um, Mine is definitely one that most people don't know about. um, And I do have a personal connection to it. So, yeah, it's far too mature for Eddie's ears. So you'll probably need to get a cat sitter for him when I do mine. I will. I'll do that. 
I don't want to upset him. I love him so much. We'll hide him. Yes. So um, we do have a fun uh, episode. So this comes out on the 19th. And next week's episode, you guys, we have a really, really fun one. We are going to do an Oscars special because our episode comes out the day before the Oscars. Not that anyone cares about them anymore, but we thought we would use it to have a fun episode. So There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks, guys. As always, you know what we say here. Stay safe out there because you never know who or what is listening, watching, stalking, purring. I mean, really (laughs) just be aware all the time of your surroundings. Pay attention. Pay attention. All right. Bye, guys. I love you.